Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 75, which begins with Thor entering romantic exposition mode and ends with him laughing at his poor pronunciation of Hubble. Joining us on the show today, unfortunately for the last time this week, we have Bubba Wheat from Flight Tights and Movie Nights. Uh, Bubba, it's been so great having you with us. What was your feeling about Thor going into this movie? Was, uh, were you a big comic books guy, or is it just the movies about, about superheroes you loved? And where did Thor fit into that for you? Well, I, I think it's always funny whenever I talk to people that, that are new to me and, and to my site, because I've been doing this for 10 years. You know, I've... I've written reviews of over 500 superhero and comic book movies, but I'm not, and I've never been a comic book guy. My, my entry has always been the movies and the TV shows. I, I have branched out a little bit into comics here and there, but for the most part, I, I stick to the, the, you know, the movies and TV uh, section of it all. So this was when this, whenever I got to this movie, uh, which, which I didn't see it whenever it first came out. Um, I, I would have seen it uh, in my first year of doing uh, my site, which was in 2012. So just um, I, I watched it for the first time leading up to The Avengers. And that, that was really my first introduction to Thor as a comic book character. And, and that I didn't have much knowledge of the Norse gods either. I just kind of knew about Thor and, and Mjolnir and that, that was about it. Nice. nice. So your experience is probably the trial of the Incredible Hulk and maybe adventures <laughs> in babysitting. <laughs> Uh, adventures in babysitting. Yes. Uh, trial of the Incredible Hulk. I, I didn't get to <laughs> until later. Gotcha. That that's very fair. That's very fair. Well, I, I I'm glad to hear that. I join you. I'm also. I often refer to myself as a, a filthy casual. I love the movies, love the TV shows. Don't know as much about the comics, but I, I think it's great. I think people can have all these different places where they get inspired to join these things, and all of them are valid and great. Uh, so we're going to jump into all of our thoughts about this last minute, including, I believe, some commentary on Norse pronunciation of Hubel Right after this. <laughs> If you're looking for ways to show your love this holiday season, consider becoming a member of our show. If you're familiar with Patreon, you're familiar with kind of the, the way that that platform works. We use their other platform called Memberful, and it allows us to build essentially a Patreon platform right into our own website. So if you want to become a patron and show your love for the show this holiday season, head over to truestory.fm slash marvelmovieminute and you can find out what we offer to patrons. It's only $5 a month, or you can get a discount if you join at the annual rate. All right, well, welcome back, everyone. And we've been talking all this time about Thor's journey. This moment, I think, is really big because, A, we're both seeing like Thor encouraging Jane, but this is also Jane's big moment because this is the moment where Thor's really encouraging Jane to to not give up on her research, to not stop, and he goes into this exposition mode. Um what what do you think is going on for Jane as she she's as he's coming to sort of really confirm all these things that she thinks are just these crazy theories that no one's ever gonna believe? 
I, I think the 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 best moment of of this minute for me is just how this how the movie focuses on Jane's face as he's doodling in in her journal, and just you know she is so focused on Thor, and she just has that that brief moment of a smile before she lets it go away, and and that is so great. And I think whether or not she believes that Thor is is truly real at this point. At this moment, he is her personal savior. He is working for her. He is encouraging her. He is her biggest cheerleader right now. And mm-hmm. at this point, that is what she needs. And and it's, it is it's so believable that at this moment, she is just falling hard for him, for somebody that that is there to lift her up. And she really needs that. I mean, she, she's at kind of like the lowest point she's been at right here. You know, S.H.I.E.L.D. had taken all of her stuff. I mean, she did finally get her journal back, so at least she has that. But we see her. I mean, she looks kind of like he did 10 minutes ago. I mean, she's kind of broken. She's hit this this bottom where, you know, she just feels this government organization is just never going to let her do anything. And and getting this this push right here from Thor, this guy that she's kind of falling for, I mean, it, it's really kind of what she needs right now to yeah. kind of get the, get, you know, take those steps. I, I think that's why it works on so many different levels, because it's so important for her career development, you know, for her turning into the great scientist who we'll continually hear about, you know, uh, either mentioned off screen or on screen and then coming back to you a big part of the next upcoming movie. But also you're right that it, it's it's for her like you see that look on her face that all the feelings she's been holding back are just it's just all out there now. And it's this it's so easy, especially with someone as gorgeous as Hemsworth, um, eyebrows not <laughs> to be referenced to play it off as the kind of Darcy like mm-hmm, like that's not this this is just like this man sees me this man like believes in me and it's funny that you talk about how she's like not sure if he's real I feel like that question works on both levels because it, it could be is he really this like person from another realm and it also could be is it really that a guy can be this genuine and kind and caring and have those biceps like it's that kind of both of them are kind of unrealistic to her coming from the the donald blakes of the world right 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 you know just as another note it is it's actually very interesting that he's saying that she's right because i mean we've only seen him hear her talking a few times about like the spaceman einstein rosenbridge things like that that like you know, uh, he. I wouldn't think that on on Asgard they talk about an Einstein Rosenbridge. For them, it's a rainbow bridge, as he says. And so it's interesting that I mean they had that conversation in the car, obviously, which which kind of pushes them to that point where I guess he's saying that she's right. But it's interesting because the the whole idea of science and magic, which is obviously a big part of this minute, I, I, I guess that's really where it kind of comes together for him viewing the way that she's seeing all of this like you know he he understands that she's getting it even if it's not described in a way that they would describe on Asgard 
Well, the sense that I get also is that there's a lot that she that he is learning off screen, you know, because he knows exactly where to go in the journal. Like I get the sense he yeah. he was flipping through the journal maybe while Eric was <laughs> reading her diary, <laughs> drunkenly expositing, you know. Uh, oh God, that's another way to think of it. But you know, also like they were in a car for thirty minutes. You know, there's probably a lot more that she told him that he was like so. Um, but yeah, it, it is just a beautiful scene, and I want to get into the exposition itself and what they talk about because I feel like. Now we're going to get so many of our questions answered about the cosmos and how all this fits together. I do just need to bring up one last of those tropes that I love. Because if you watch a lot of those rom-coms, especially the Hallmark ones, but not often, 80% of them will have a minute where the woman, our heroine, has started to give up on her dream of opening the cookie (laughs) bakery or of saving the town or of, you know, whatever it is. And the guy has his big breakthrough by supporting her through it. And so it's just it's just one more of those boxes that this movie checked. And I it's so doing them like in order in this one minute. I have to think the writer or Branna or someone in their lives was like feeding this to them because it's just <laughs> I've seen him encouraging her. And in that moment, her seeing him and his true self, it, it's beautiful. I don't think it's an overused trope in this genre. In that one, it very much is. But in this, it's just so perfect. Yeah, it really is. I I. I feel like what the Hallmark trope, the the trope that the Hallmark films likely are missing is having them then draw very poorly uh, a sketch sketch in their journal. (laughs) I'm glad that I've never had to draw something for you as part of my work. That is that's Picasso doing a tree from my perspective. (laughs) But at the same time, and 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 I don't know. I know you mentioned that uh, that you've studied Norse mythology, but in my you know my five minutes of Google research, I I noticed that her that this uh, drawing her drawing of the planets is set up and uh, what a lot of uh, diagrams of the Norse mythology nine realms are and. They do mm-hmm. set the set the Yggdrasil in the same way, where Midgard is directly in the center, Asgard is directly above it, Helheim is down below it, and then you have the other ones on the outside. Right. I definitely want to get to that because I have a lot of questions. But yeah, yeah. go ahead, Matthew. I just want to say one thing before we get that, though, because one thing we've been talking about a lot, and, and but we, you probably heard us, or maybe even gotten sick of us talking about this, is this question of. Is Asgard magic or is it science? And how a lot of the movie was saying it's not magic, it's science. Oh, but Loki, he's magic. <laughs> um, so what do you take of her of his line where he says, Your ancestors called it magic, we call it science. Well, I or sorry, your ancestors call it magic, you call it science. I come from a place where they're both one and the same. What does he mean by that? Well, I, I think that it it is I think it's a combination of both. I, I think that in in this MCU Asgard, there is this magic, but it, it's it's a magic done through uh, that they have discovered through scientific study. And so, what Loki is doing is magic, but it's also has a scientific backing. Like he is doing scientific like he is doing things that can be backed up by scientific principles but he's doing them as magic interesting so for you the bifrost and like what loki does those are both the same kind of it could be science it could be magic yeah kind of like how 
it, you know, in, in other, in other magical explanations, they have like these magical ley lines that, um, that they can control through this magical energy. And I think that you could have that, the same kind of magic in Asgard and certain people are able to draw on it, but there's also this scientific explanation that they could, like if somebody asks them about it, they could give this scientific explanation for what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's so tricky. And I, I feel like, I mean, I think that Marvel gave up on this argument you know, eventually, like, especially by the time Doctor Strange came around, I think they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, magic. No, magic really is a thing, too. Um, but <laughs> but at this in this particular film, it, it's tricky because I feel like they are trying to say Asgardian science is just so far advanced, it appears like magic. But then they talk about how, you know, Loki is doing magic. Odin cast a spell on Mjolnir. And things like that. So I don't know. I guess in my head, I start going, well, I guess I, I guess maybe they usually think that maybe they're just saying the stuff that Midgardians call magic. That's actually just science. They've just figured all that out. But there still is also another actual thing of magic. I, I don't know. I, I end up. I struggle with it and I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like later, you know, they're just saying, don't worry about it. But yeah, it, I mean, yeah. I think it's a reminder that, like, you know, Feige was not in control at this point. Like, the, 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 we have one solid philosophy and ethos of how these things work in our universe, and all the directors have to, to some extent or another, follow that. We're still years away from that. And, cause funny, cause I, I, I definitely, Andy, I'm more on your side of that. I, my impression has been all throughout that everyone has been saying that part of why Loki is kind of set apart is because he does magic and it's weird and different because it's not scientific yet. Um, and part of me wants to say is that maybe because he's not an Asgardian, but of course he learns it from his mother, who in mythology is part frost giant, I believe. No, he's, uh, I forget the exact lines, but frost giants are involved in his lineage. Um, but she's a witch in uh, Frigga in, in mythology and sort of in here. We don't get that explanation for it either. But like, yeah, I, I mean, but we, I think... I, I really want to believe in what you're saying, because I think that would make it logically make a whole lot more sense. I just don't, I don't know how Loki quite fits into that, but I, I, I wish it was. And, and if so, then this Thor, line by Thor makes total sense. If where he's kind of saying, like, not even that we've scientifically figured it all out, but that we've kind of, like, science will figure out what it can, but there's also stuff that science hasn't figured out yet, and we're okay with that. Yeah, I, I think if if you want to put it in, in scientific terms, Loki is like a hacker. Hmm. That's fair. And so he's 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 able to hack Asgardian technology, but they call it magic because that's their term for it. Well, we did jokingly say that that's what that's what uh, Odin was doing with Mjolnir is he was just <laughs> like Siri. He's just hacking it. And, and he's he is he's set a, a new app inside it that that requires the. Uh, uh, OK, Mjolnir, <laughs> except new programming. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I was going to say the okay G word, but uh, my thing will actually respond if I do that. So Right, right. So, yeah. So, let's go more into kind of what they say So after that. So, now he starts telling her about how right she she is. And, and as you were saying, Bubba Weed, like, I think she's listening to every word, but she's just – she's looking right at him. And it's just such this wonderful moment where she's so captivated by him, but also she looks so beautiful in this moment. He looks eyebrows notwithstanding <laughs> so good in this moment. The firelight is just amazing to both of them. And then he goes into um, 
you know, he starts sketching it out. And, and he says this line that's very odd to me because he says, my father explained it to me like this. And then he just tells her the what is, which it like to me, if I say my father explained it to me like this, I'm about to tell you the metaphor my father used to explain it to me. The birds and the bees or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Or like think of Yggdrasil like a, you know, fruit roll up, like whatever the hell the metaphor is. And yet he then just like tells her the thing. Did that line strike you as a little weird? Is he kind of just name dropping a bit? Is it just that like all he knows is from his father, so that's how he says it? I, know, I, I thought that that they that he was, you know, sharing the Yggdrasil metaphor that you know they're all connected to by this giant tree. That they're not. It's not a literal tree. It's a metaphorical tree. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, that'd make a lot of sense. And then. That is definitely a diversion from the mythology to quite a bit, or at least the mythology is often like interpreted. But um, when it comes to the gods, what we understand as metaphor or truth gets into very murky <laughs> waters. But yeah, I, I think that could definitely make sense. Yeah, and it's it's funny because like I know when, by the time we get to the end credits of the film, it's a lot of shots of traveling through space and all these beautiful space shots and everything. And at the end, we kind of see this space tree of constellations and everything and i i i think that initially that was going to be at the beginning of the film and we we're going to come in through that to kind of find asgard at the top of this literal you know space this kind of tree uh made up of all these stars and galaxies and everything yeah br bringing it back to the um the the animated movie that I mentioned before, they do show a, a in that film an alternate method of traveling between realms is by climbing the literal branches of Yggdrasil. Right. Yeah, and and I and I feel like this space tree that they would that they, that's at the end of the movie. I feel like that if they had gone that route, it would have been like you were saying, Matthew, really kind of taken the metaphor out and just said, no, it really is this giant tree that's made up of all these galaxies and everything. And that would have been, uh, I think, a little weird. And like in the original mythology, certainly like, I mean, there's a story that Odin hangs himself from the tree. You know, it is very much a literal thing. But if if part of the conceit of this movie is that that mythology is what was created by humans, yeah, maybe they did hear them talking about this metaphor of a tree and they thought it was real. You know, I mean, yeah. we, we can go wrap the, Now we're getting to theology, which is another <laughs> love of mine that is not part of this podcast. Um, but it does raise for me another question that I've, I, I have never quite understood. And, and Bubba Weed, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. How does the nine realms, which as the way they talk about it, they seem to believe that this encompasses all of reality – how does that play into the fact that we later learn about, like, all these other planets that exist out there and also all these other dimensions that exist out there? And, like, first first of all, are the nine realms all, like, could the Starship Enterprise fly from Earth to all these different realms because they actually are just different points in space? Or are they different dimensions? Is, is there something beyond just space travel that that is involved when we go between them? I get the impression that it's it's basically like a, a connection and, uh, or a collection of these nine different planets, and they're they might be in different parts of the galaxy, and maybe to a certain extent, each one of those planets, at least from their perspective, they control that section of the the universe, and and the, each one of those planets is like the the center point of these different like these nine different quadrants of the universe 
and and the the Yggdrasil is the like the the Bifrost connection where they're able to travel in between all of them through the the, the you know like the World of Warcraft fast travel through the, the the Bifrost. So you could, if you had warp speed, you could go from Earth to Asgard to all these different realms because they are. Just it's distance that separates them. It's not some kind of dimensional barrier or anything like that. that. That's how I read it. Okay. That's and that's been my impression too. And and just poking around online, it seems to be kind of what people say. And and Heimdall, he can only see within these nine realms. His 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 vision does not see past it. The Bifrost only connects these nine realms. Right. Um. But uh, it, it's I don't know. Beyond that, it it does get a little fuzzy. Because that's the second part of my question is late once we get the galactic MCU with Guardians of the Galaxy and all the other movies, you know, when I introduced all these other planets and like nowhere and the celestials and, um, you know, the, the world of the Kree and the scrolls, is that just because when the the Nor- when the as guardians were coming up with the nine realms, they they didn't know about that. So they just thought that these nine planets and the areas around them were all of reality or is would all of that fall into one of the nine realms, or how, how does that all connect? I'm asking as you two have written this, but like <laughs> we're at this moment of exposition. We're at the moment where Thor is trying to explain it all. So I want it all explained. Well, I mean, going back to the that whole point of the Bifrost and everything, kind of connecting things. My sense is that there there was this connection that existed between these, and I don't know why. It's just it's like you know creation. There just happened to be. A, a strange connection between this, these particular nine planets and mm-hmm. and because of that and because as the Asgardians had their golden apples and were kind of immortal, they kind of were at the top of it and, and were able to kind of uh, control all of it and travel through it and everything. That's, I mean, again, that's just my impression. But my my impression is that, you know, Midgardians, I mean, they're barely aware there's anything off of Midgard. Whereas the Asgardians, my sense is, and we'll definitely see this later in the franchise that they understand that there's other stuff out there. It's just, they can't get there with the Bifrost. And so um, like when Sif and Volstag deliver, I think it's, is it the ether that they take to, to nowhere? Um, I'm assuming that it's with a ship and, and, and not through the Bifrost. So, um, I, but again, it's so little of it's explained. It's just, it's just all my, my own, <laughs> yeah, all in my head as far as all of the logic here. I guess the only reason why I keep pushing on it is, and maybe this is more the Norse mythology, and in in the the MCU it's different. I know Andy, you actually did some great research on what the realms are in in the MCU, or at least in the, the comics, at least. Is it the way they're described? All the realms are kind of primordial. You know, they're all the homes of like these different, like either ice or fire or like literally the, the world of the dead or like of the frost giants or the dark elves. But like there aren't just planets where people are just evolving and living, you know, like where Gamora's from or where, where Thanos is from or any of those places. And so that, that that's why for me it does feel like they're talking about different dimensions because it doesn't feel like just planets that are out there where evolution's happening. But I, I think you're probably right. It's just that that's why that, that – that's why for me it always feels weird is because I'm like – I. How do you just have a different planet that happens to also be the planet of the dead, you know, or the planet of <laughs> yeah. hell? Like, that, it, that doesn't quite fit. It is pretty strange. It is pretty strange. I'll, I'll just read through the nine realms then, I guess, so sure. at least we know what they are. Um, and just to be clear, Norse mythology, it's not even 
locked down what the nine realms are there. There's disagreements amongst the ranks there. Uh, MCU's a little, or Marvel, and, uh, well, Marvel's been inconsistent. Generally, I found this on Reddit. Uh, Chris D848 um, had this breakdown of the nine realms that generally is the agreed-upon list of the realms. Asgard is the pinnacle of the world tree. It's the home of the Aesir. We've obviously talked about that quite a bit. Vanaheim, just below Asgard on Yggdrasil. That's where the Vanir live. They're the other half of the Norse gods. That's where Hogan the Grim is from. Uh, Midgard, it literally means middle enclosure. It's the middle of the world tree. And for those of you who are fans of J.R.R. Tolkien, that's where the name Middle Earth comes from. And uh, uh, and then we go into Niflheim. Um, it's the world of, as you were saying, Matthew, this is the world of primordial ice. Uh, Muspelheim is the world of primordial fire. And uh, between these two, um, there's uh, ice and fire have spilled into the Ginunga Gap, uh, which is a big abyss at, at the beginning of time, which created Midgard, apparently. So there's the, you know, the origin story there. You have Svartalheim, that's where the Dark Elves come from. You have Alfheim, which is the home of the Light Elves. Uh, again, J.R.R. Tolkien fans, that's where he got his idea for Elves. Jotunheim, we've obviously talked about. Again, in context of the Nine Realms, it was just a world of giants. Not necessarily Frost Giants, but obviously the MCU and Marvel has decided, no, it's just Frost Giants. All the Earth, Sea, other giants don't have a place to come from. Helheim, and that's the home of the unglorious dead. Only warriors killed in battle and women killed in childbirth get to go to Valhalla. Everyone else goes to the kingdom of hell. Of hell. Um, this is where, um, uh, in in the stories, it's uh, Loki's daughter is actually hell, not Odin's daughter. So, but anyway, that's that. And then there are a couple other ones that sometimes people say are realms. There's Nidavellir, which is the home of the dwarves, and Nornheim, which is home of the fates, uh, which is actually under the roots of the world tree around the fountain of Mimir, which, uh, as you said, Odin hung himself to gain that extra wisdom. So uh, those are the realms. That's kind of this whole thing that you're talking about here, uh, which, yeah, uh, Gamora doesn't fit on that list of of places. <laughs> It's kind of funny. There's a number of things that are kind of interesting there. One is just like the primordial. We have a primordial ice planet. So if we only have frost giants, why don't they live there? Um, yeah, right. But, you know, Jotunheim, I think, sounds a little better than Nilfheim is a, you know, truly scary place. Yeah, Niflheim. Yeah, it sounds like a sneeze or something. <laughs> <laughs> or Niffler. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I just have to say, though, it, it is very weird to me that Jane has this drawing of these nine realms in her journal. I mean, she obviously doesn't have the tree shape on the page, but she has these. I, I, at first, I was like, well, maybe she was drawing the our, the nine planets of our solar system. But then I looked at it, I'm like, there's no way this is supposed to be the planets. Like, none of it is laid out like a solar system. This is, it's crazy. Like, why would she have drawn this? Uh, it, it, do either of you have any sense, like, why this would be in her journal? My guess is that it has to do with the research that they've been doing, because it's heavily implied that these atmospheric events are tied to Asgard in some way. And I, I think through that, this has been like a a visual a visualization of the data that they've collected so far. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's primarily what it is as well. I think the other little part of it is there's a, at one point Thor, when describing it, says, you know, you see it all around you. You've been always seeing it. Yeah. And then he mentions the telescope. And we'll get to that in a second. But he starts by saying, like, he's not just talking about astronomy there. I think and this, I believe, is part of at least some version of the mythology is that, like, you can see Yggdrasil all around you. You know, that, like, certain trees will grow like Yggdrasil or, like, certain geometric shapes will represent Yggdrasil. The idea is that it's just, it's it's so fundamental to the universe that we see it subconsciously in a lot of places. And so I think that my impression is that, that what he's trying to say is that, like, you took all of this research, which basically gets you nine tenths of the way. And you were you just it fit because of all the things you've been seeing around you, and then probably from this telescope as well, subconsciously or, or consciously. It's kind of like their version of uh, the Fibonacci sequence. Yeah, yeah, it's actually a perfect example of it. Or the Fnords, if you've ever read the uh, Illuminati, Illuminatus trilogy. Hmm. Is there anything more about cosmology and realms that uh, either one of you wanted to bring up? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. No, I, think, I, I think we've exhausted the topic. Yeah, um, it certainly is interesting. Uh, you know, I, I find it interesting. And I, I just have to say, Thor is a terrible artist. Like, this is the worst looking <laughs> tree I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, fans, I want you all to take to sketch uh, Yggdrasil and then send in a picture to Andy, uh, to both of us. Uh, we'll put them on the website somehow. I have no control of the website, so I'm happy to make this promise. It's worked for someone else. Uh, I think many of you could probably draw fantastic Yggdrasils. I think many of you are more in my camp where we see Thor. It's like, yeah, that's that, you, you made a good effort. Well done. Um, but speaking of Thor making an effort, so he, he knows about this telescope, and he mentions it as the Hubble ter- Telescope, which we all know is the Hubble Telescope. Um at first, I thought that was just supposed to be a joke playing on, once again, the fish out of water idea. But, uh, Bubba, I think you had some thoughts about this, right, in terms of, like, Norse pronunciations? Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that they have this this pronunciation. And because I I had heard a while ago that, that the MCU pronunciations of, of all this North mythology is very uh, Anglicanized. Um, you know, it, it's told from a very American perspective and, and an American uh, accent, mm-hmm. but, uh, or, you know, a, a bit of a, a slight British because of the, the whole Shakespearean angle. Uh, I think there's a little bit of that in, to, in there. But Norse is, has its own pronunciations. And I, you know, I looked up an Icelandic YouTuber named uh, Rafna. And she went through a lot of the Asgardian names, and she shared the pronunciations based on her modern Icelandic pronunciations, which, uh, you know, in, in terms of modern languages, that, that would be about the closest to what the original Old Norse pronunciations would be. And they are, you know, they're similar, but there's a lot of differences. I think a lot of it is just with some of the the consonants are pronounced a little bit differently and the vowels are, are pronounced a little bit differently. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll do my best approximation of, of her pronunciations uh, based on what I heard. Uh, you know, uh, Odin is, um, you know, the D is pronounced more like a, a TH and, and there's a, a heavier accent on the, on the end. So it's more more like Alton. Wow. And uh, like Frigga, um, 
uh, her name is 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 Frigg, and it, it would be pronounced closer to like, and and they roll their R's a little bit as well, which I, I'm I can roll my R's, but I, I probably um, overdo it a little bit. So her her name her name would be pronounced more like Frigg. So there's a little bit, and Loki would be more like Lauki, and Thor would be Thor. And and I think the biggest difference is the the Bifrost itself. Um, I, that one is is it would be pronounced a lot closer to uh, beef roast, you know, uh, beef ro- beef roast, mm, or, yeah. or beef roast. And, and so is the wow. ooh sound uh, the, the, that he uses the hubel is is that a sound that you think would be more because I know that that's a sound that does appear in Germanic languages all the time, and I think a lot of our like I I, I was part of a um, Kind of where a lot of my research came from is I was part of a religious community that that worshipped the Asgardians because there's, there's modern neo-pagan groups. And in that group, there were two people who done a lot of research, one of whom had studied Icelandic, one of whom had studied German and Norwegian. And yeah, their, their differences in pronunciation were very broad. Um, so how do you think the Hubble Hubble fits into that? Personally, I, I think it's just a fish out of water joke, but I, I just okay. thought I just thought it was a good ex, a good excuse to to bring up the these the difference in the the Norse pronunciation and and the ones that the MCU goes with. Okay, that makes sense. Because because I was just going with it because Hubel, I mean that that ooh that ooh sound is one you do hear in quite a lot of Germanic. Uh, if I remember, I, I studied the language just one summer, somewhat from the, the language, but certainly in the names like Stuttgart and Utgard and things like that. Yeah, right, so right. that that was. Kind of what I was getting was was maybe he's it's it's that pronunciation, but yeah, it's it, it's fascinating to hear that, like so all these different pronunciations, and you know it, it makes sense when you think about like all these different sources that we have for the mythology that exists today. Yeah, and it does. I mean, it's not scripted that way, so it does make me wonder. Like, is this is this a little thing that uh, that Chris and Natalie came up with, or Kenneth as they were kind of rehearsing? Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do like I like you. I kind of felt like that hubu. It just sounds like something that you would hear, like you know, with all of these crazy names that I keep trying to say uh, it, over the course of like, reading all of these different things. Like even just what I just went through with the nine realms, like all of that stuff. And here you have this hubu. It totally sounds like something that you would yeah. see in in one of these write ups. So um, I. I think it works well in context of the way they're playing the joke. I mean, especially because even to take it one step further with what you were saying, Bubba Wheat, about how it's like Americanized, but also kind of Britishized for this. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is neither. He's Australian. And I know I've heard some talk about how, like, there was kind of a funny thing on set about how he's they kind of make the Asgardian accent English, but. And he's definitely not doing an Australian accent. He's an Australian trying to do a, a Asgardian slash British accent, but you can definitely hear some of the Australian coming in. And so now I kind of wonder how an Australian says Hubble on <laughs> what if that's at all a part of this or how it fits. <laughs> Beyond the pronunciation, I know you had also something about Hubble you wanted to jump in with. Just just facts about the Hubble telescope. It is one of the largest telescopes uh, that NASA uses. Launched into low orbit of Earth 1990 still in use today uh, and it's been very important to to do research all sorts of different space occurrences i just want to also point out jane has labeled in her notebook that she has these images 6821.37 and 6821.38 
I looked on the, I mean, there's a fantastic, like if you're curious at looking at all sorts of Hubble images, there's the Hubble Legacy Archive, which is HLA. We'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. It's, it's just amazing what you can see there, all the different space images. But I was looking around on the site. They don't code their, num- their images this way. So I think that this just must have been some made up way uh, to kind of code images uh, for the movie so that they could use whatever images they happen to find. But um, but unless somebody knows what this code means, I, I'd love to know if there is actually some meaning behind these numbers for these images. Definitely let us know that. And But especially if we're getting our astronomy folks uh, to go d- diving deep, I think we also have to mention that the Hubble has been this incredible telescope and will continue to be. But um, after, it hasn't yet happened when we record it, but probably all things be going well, by the time we uh, launch this episode, uh, the James Webb Space Telescope will have also been launched. Uh, the James Webb Space Telescope is uh, what is supposed to be the replacement or kind of the next the next generation to the Hubble Space Telescope. So just one more fun thing as we dive way, way, way too deep on uh, astrology of both our own world and that of the Asgardians. Uh, are there any other last comments uh, from either of you, but especially from you, Bubba Wheat, about either this minute or just kind of the, the five minutes in total that we've talked about? I, I think I, I covered all of my notes that that I had. I've, I love these minute-by-minute breakdowns because, you know, I'm the type of person that I love overanalyzing things. And the minute-by-minute format is definitely a perfect opportunity to overanalyze a movie. Well, and you've been a great guest because what we found is, I think Andy and I love all the overanalyzation, but for the most part, I want to analyze character motivation and Andy wants to mo- uh, overanalyze, like, why is that move? Why is that DVD on the shelf? Uh, and, and you clearly have the love of both. So, um, uh, finding that details of the DVD is like, Andy, was that a detail you had, you had picked up on? No, I missed that one. So I so think that's kudos. the first time we've had a guest like, go that deep on the research of something that neither me nor Andy has caught. So, uh, awesome. uh, send you a t-shirt or something. I don't know. Again, that's, that's their problem, not mine. But uh, thank you again. You've been a fantastic guest. Uh, and just one more time, if people want to find you, where can they find your stuff? Yeah, my my central hub is pretty much flightstightsandmovienights.com. And I'm also relatively active on Twitter, where I'm at Bubba Wheat. And uh, my main uh, podcast project right now is It's Time to Rewind, which can be found on anchor.fm. And I also have a Facebook group that I'm trying to to build for that. It's Time to Rewind, a time loop group uh, where you can join and, and talk about uh, the episodes of the podcast as well as, you know, time loop movies and TV shows in general. Yeah, we'll definitely check all that stuff out. Thank you again for being a part of these five minutes. Andy, thank you so much for all that you do to help make these minutes possible. And to our fans, you're why we do this. Thank you and have a good day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 